0: Thanks Pam and uh, thank you Nicoletta and uh, the band and uh, good evening to you all. Um, I'm I'm really glad to be back here with you again. Thank you so much for asking me. Uh, Great joy and uh, to see different faces uh, and to see um, your always friendly faces but now you're becoming familiar so uh, so that's great. Well I'm just going to pray uh, before we look at this passage. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for Uh, all that you have been speaking to us already, of your presence in our lives. And Lord, I just pray now that through your word, uh, Lord, you would become even more real to us. And uh, Lord, we would sense your presence uh, amongst us. Lord, uh, bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, we're uh, continuing a a series that you're looking at on Paul's uh, letter to the Philippians. And, um, well, I don't know about you, the clocks went back, and uh, I'm getting a bit older now, and I used to think it was an extra hour's sleep, but now I find by the evening I'm just a bit uh, ready for bed a bit earlier. And uh, so uh, I know some of you, or some of us amongst us, uh, might be Halfway through the sermon, thinking about Horlicks and Downton Abbey, which is what you'd normally be doing at this time of the evening. Uh, So I thought I'd uh, just bring bring us into focus a bit with her. You know, there's some students here, and I don't mean to get sort of flabby at half term. We're going to have a little quiz, really, about stars, because obviously stars are um, particularly relevant. So we'll have the first quiz question here. Now you can confer amongst yourselves and. You can uh, talk to your neighbor, and we'll have a little show of hands. How many stars are in our Milky Way galaxy in which the solar system is? Right, so we've got 300 million, 300 billion, 300 trillion. Have a little chat. Okay, a show of hands then. Who's for 300 million? Answer A. Don't be shy. Put your hands up. No one's for 300 million. Oh, we've got one in the back. Two, two. Who's for 300 billion? Oh, a few more. Who's for 300 trillion? Oh, well, the bees have it. It's 300 billion stars in the in the Milky Way galaxy. Question two. Um, the brightest star that we can see, we'll have the next one, at the brightest star that we can see is A, the North Star, B, Sirius, C, apparently there is a star called Betelgeuse, D, Brad Pitt. So, we'll uh, have a little think about the brightest star that we can see from Earth. Okay. I can't remember the answer, actually. No, I can. Who uh, Who's for answer A? The North Star. Oh, controversial. Who's for answer B? Mm. Who's for answer C? Oh, the three, three in the front row. And who thinks Brad Pitt's the greatest star in the world? Ah, in the corner. I knew there'd be someone. Uh, the answer is, in fact, Sirius, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> well done. I think that's also the Pole Star. Is that the Pole Star? Anyway, next question. Which of the following is not a known type of star? We have A, red dwarf, B, green giant, C, red giant, D, white dwarf. It's easy, this one, isn't it? Which of the following is not a known type of star? No clues like yo-ho-ho. Anyone for red dwarf, answer A. Yeah, okay. Anyone for B, green giant? Anyone for C, red giant or a white dwarf? No, it's, of course, Green Giant. That's the sweet corn. Uh, number f- four, are we on how a star's born. So, that's a bit more tricky question. How a star's born. A black hole explodes. Two planets collide. A cloud of old stardust collapses on X Factor. Anyone f- have a quick chat? Anyone for A? A black hole explodes. No, they don't explode, do they? Two planets collide. Oh, you are the two planets collide. We've got some in the back. A cloud of old stardust collapses. Whoa, well done. I'm not on X Factor, obviously. Yep, you're all right. The answer uh, is uh, C, a cloud of old stardust collapses. It's amazing, isn't it? God, the great recycler, uh, uses old stardust, sucks it all in makes a new star. Now, we've got our final question now. This is for those who fancy a bit of mental gymnastics. Here we go. The speed of light is 300,000 kilometers a second. A star is 4.3 light years away. If you have a spacecraft which travels 500 kilometers per hour, how long is it going to take you to get to that star? I'm kidding. You don't have to work that out. But anyone want to have a guess? Shout out. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I'm with you. (laughs) The answer is, in fact, it's D, 9,288,000 years. Oh, yeah, no, don't don't, don't don't care. Right, good. Well, of course, uh, we get back to the, the, the matter in hand. Uh, when Paul wrote this letter uh, 2,000 years ago, and when he looked up at the sky, there was no Professor Brian Cox, there was no Patrick Moore, there was no Hebron accelerator. He simply looked up into the sky and saw hundreds and thousands of twinkling, shining stars. And when he wrote this letter, it was his earnest desire, I think, that he could help the Philippian church shine as brightly as a star in the night sky. For he knew that that would give him, and it would give them, and it would give God uh, great joy. And as you've been looking at this series on Philippians, uh, the series theme, as you'll know, is about joy. Is about joy. That's the whole characteristic of Paul's letter to the Philippians. He mentions it over and over and over again, joy. And so tonight we're going to think about uh, joy in shining. And as we consider the joy in shining that comes from this passage, as we shine like stars in the universe, there in the middle of the passage we've just read, we're going to think about four areas, about shining through grace, about how we shine together, about how we shine through God's word and about how we shine despite sacrifice. So firstly, we're going to think about shining through grace. And this week, I've been absolutely amazed and bowled over by the story of Derek Vidya. I don't know whether any of you saw it on the news uh, or in the papers. It was a, he was a 40-year-old man. He's a 40-year-old man uh, from Poland who four years ago was stabbed in the back and became paralyzed from the chest down. Well, uh, if, you've, if you, uh, we've met before, you know that I'm a medic. Uh, I did my training over 20 years ago now. But tradition is that once the spinal cord is severed and cut and broken, those nerves can never, ever, ever mend back. That spinal cord will forever be broken, and the paralysis that someone experiences from that will be permanent. And that's what's always been, and that's what's always been thought. But this week... This week it changed. Though it's really early days, doctors this week have found a treatment that means that the spinal cord can grow back and be repaired and that people who previously had no hope of ever walking again will walk again. And you, you will have seen the pictures of him on the news. And if you heard the professor that uh, discovered it, uh, he said that uh, these steps taken by these, this man, um, Derek Fidja, these steps probably have greater significance than watching man walk on the moon. And yet how quickly it disappeared from our news cycle, didn't it? And I think that's probably true. I think that we will look back in 20, 30 years' time and we will put this on a par with penicillin and with man walking on the moon. And when Derek Fidger made his first tentative steps and began to walk with the support of the frame, he said this. He said, It's an incredible feeling. When you can't feel almost half of your body, you are helpless. But when it starts coming back, it's like you were born again. It's like you were born again. Derek's body was broken. His spinal cord was severed. It's been repaired, and now he can walk again. A wonderful, life-changing restoration has taken place for him. But when we see him, when we see his faltering steps we see that for him, it's going to be a long, hard journey for that healing to be worked out. The underlying problem has been solved, but he must learn to use his muscles, his nerves, his joints, his balance, his coordination again. And as we read this passage in Philippians, I think this is a really good picture of what Paul is saying here in Philippians. As we read these first couple of verses, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence but in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God has done something wonderful, momentous, and life-changing for each one of us who believes and turns to God. No one is beyond his reach and beyond his grace. We only need to receive it from him. He has done this through grace, through God's unmerited favor. We haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. But because he loves us, he saved us, repaired us, And restored us. He's mended what was severed when we were cut off from God by our own and humanity's sin. He's called us. He's worked in us. Scripture tells us that in the words that that, uh, Derek Fidja used, we are born again and the work is done. But then what Paul is saying here is that just like Derek Fidja, although we mended although the work's been done, we must learn to walk again. We must learn to walk the road of discipleship. We must learn to walk the the journey of grace and faith. And of course, we know, don't we, that sometimes the steps of our discipleship are faltering and slow. Sometimes we make progress, but sometimes we seem to be going backwards. Sometimes there's immense frustration because we read in the Bible that we're a new creation and yet often we don't feel it. We make mistakes, we mess up, we sin again. We keep having to come back to God over and over again. But Paul here is encouraging the Philippians and he's encouraging us to keep going. Paul says, God has saved you. But now, continue to make that real in the lives that you live. Because here, Paul is saying that God is still at work in us through his spirit. But it seems that this is to be a cooperative venture. It's to be a blend of God's activity and our own. And I think sometimes the temptation is just to sit back and to think, God's done this amazing thing for me, and I can sit back and there's no effort at all uh, in our spiritual lives. Or sometimes, I find in my own life, the pendulum swings, and we think we have to work really, really, really hard. And we have to be really grafting hard, and we, it all becomes about ourselves and what we're doing. And we forget that it's God at work in our lives. The late uh, Dallas Willard, uh, a writer, says this. Uh, and listen to this carefully, but we must stop using the fact that we cannot earn grace as an excuse for not energetically seeking to receive grace. Having been found by God, we then become seekers of an even fuller life with him. Grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort having been found by God, we then become seekers of an even fuller life with him. We cannot, we cannot earn our salvation. It is the gift of a gracious and merciful God. But what Paul seems to be saying here to the Philippians is that there is effort on our part in the spiritual life, in seeking God, in working at relationships with each other, in seeking God in prayer, in reading God's words so that it gets into here and into here, and in turning our minds and our hearts to worship him. And it's important also to say that effort in the Christian life is not simply about doing, but about being. Sometimes it's the effort of making good choices and not poor ones. And sometimes, as Christians, it takes a great deal of effort to do nothing, of stopping with God, of seeking silence and solitude. For the busy person, stopping to be with God, listening to him can require intensely more effort than doing lots of other things and activities. The Christian life is not without effort, but this effort is also blended with God's work. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. The Greek word that Paul uses here is the word energio, That's the Greek word for work. And it's where we get our word uh, energy from. And so uh, Eugene Peterson in the message uh, translates those, few, those two verses, uh, verses 12 and 13, as this. He says, be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. I love that. Be energetic in your life of salvation because it's God's energy working in you. And I think that one of the greatest joys of the Christian life, and I have to say that it took me quite a long time uh, to realize it, but one of the greatest joys It's not that we are simply saved and then we rush around doing stuff, good though it is, for God and for church. But one of the greatest joys of the Christian life is that God is concerned with inward change and with the formation of our hearts and souls and minds. He is not content to leave us as we are. His Spirit is at work within us for our own sakes but not just for our own sakes, for the sakes of those around us, for our families, for our friends, for the worlds in which we live, the places in which we work and study. God is concerned not to leave us as we are, but to help us walk and strengthen and grow and use those spiritual faith muscles and nerves and joints and to become stronger and bolder in our faith. How amazing is that? Sometimes, of course, uh, transformation and change can be a painful process. Sometimes it can be a process of letting go. And sometimes uh, transformation in the Bible is likened uh, to words like fire and refining and purifying and burning things away. It may not feel joyous at the time, but God, I believe, can use all things in our lives, all things for our good. Uh, you may be sitting out there today and you may find yourself in a difficult place where it's hard to believe that God could really be at work in your life. You don't sense Him, you don't hear Him, and it's hard to feel the joy that is, characterizes this letter to the Philippians. And yet, what this passage says to us, to you and to me, is don't despair. God has worked in you through Jesus' death and resurrection. And he continues to work in you through his spirit. He's working in you now to get you to desire and do all that he has planned for you. Each one of us has a unique part in God's great salvation history. You might not feel it, but these words tell us, that it's true. Paul was confident, confident that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. What God has started, he will finish, despite our clumsy efforts at walking the road of discipleship. We shine because of his grace. Well, the second thing to say is that We shine at together. I like Paul. Uh, He's not always easy to read, Paul, but he often goes from lofty theology and these beautiful images and words, and then he goes straight in at the nitty-gritty of working it out. Work out your salvation, he says. And then he tells us, He tells the Philippians how to do it. Often he talks uh, to the other churches, to to those in Corinth, particularly about personal holiness, about personal morality. But it seems that the Philippians uh, didn't have so much of a problem with that. What they had a problem with were their relationships and were how they lived together and how they worked out church. And here Paul is saying to them, talking to them about how they live better together, how they shine brighter together. We read in Psalm 147 that uh, God knows every star by its name, Uh, even those uh, 300 billion in the Milky Way. God knows each star by name. And God knows each one of us shining stars by name. I believe that scripture tells us that each one of us is uniquely loved, uniquely called, and uniquely treasured. But this should not make us think that our faith is only a personal or an individualized thing. Because we are a multitude of stars. Well, uh, I was in my 20s um, before I went somewhere uh, remote enough to be able to see the Milky Way in the sky. Any of you seen the Milky Way in the sky on a dark, dark night? Yeah. Uh, in the UK, it's quite a difficult thing to see uh, because there's so much light pollution around. But if you, you can see it here if you go somewhere remote enough and dark enough up on Dartmoor. But if you can go far away from anywhere, you'll see the Milky Way. And I was absolutely blown away by it. It's like a highway of stars, like a white cloud, all the stars stretching out uh, ahead, ahead of us in a, in a long line. And, and you really get a sense of, you know, the Milky Way is all like a swirly, swirly uh, um, spiral, is the word I'm looking for. And you get a sense if you're in this spiral as the Milky Way stretches out. There are billions and billions and billions of stars, and it's extraordinary. And in Paul's day, he must have seen that more easily. And when he's talking to the Philippians about shining like stars, he's envisaging a multitude of stars. He's, he's envisaging uh, a, an array of stars, which is otherwise, of course, known as the church. Uh, look around you. at the mo- Look around. Look behind. Look in front. You're all going, oh, no. How shiny do you all look? From here, you look really Shiny. You are shining like stars together as a church. Paul is not writing this letter to an individual, and so we can't read it as such. He's writing to a community of believers. Paul is appealing to the Philippian church to shine, and he meant for them to shine together because shining together, you're so much lighter and brighter than a single star on its own. Paul is a pastor. He's away from the church, but his concern is that they should live well with one another. We see it all through the book. Chapter 2, earlier in chapter 2, which you've looked at already, uh, he says, don't do things out of selfish ambition. Don't do things to please yourself. Don't do things just for your own interests, but be humble, be like-minded, and let your attitude be like that of Christ's. Later on, when you get to chapter 4, you'll see that he specifically pleads with two women and with the church to help these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, to put behind them uh, the disagreement that they have had in church. In this letter and in these passages and in these verses, Paul is encouraging the Philippian church to reform their church life and to work at the spiritual health of their community. So that the world, when they look at the church and when they look on, will see that they are different and shiny. Verse 14, he says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Don't mumble and grumble. He says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Now, other translations have it as murmuring and uh, murmuring and grumbling and mumbling. Paul didn't brush church difficulties under the carpet. When he wrote other letters, he was pretty upfront about things and pretty straight. But what he says is that there are grace-filled and mature ways of doing things, of, of, of addressing things that need to be addressed of approaching people directly but lovingly and mercifully and with humility with the idea that we might not always be right in what we think or say do things without arguing or complaining without murmuring or mumbling or grumbling we've all done it haven't we we've all done it i've done it i've come into church and i have